Well, today we are closing our series on the greater glory of God. Last day. It's been a good one. It's been a great way to start the year. You know, to just set our minds on what God wants to do in his church. We've talked about so many things. We've talked about the fact that we need to get our priorities right. We've talked about going up the mountain. We've talked about getting stuff from the presence of God to really build our lives effectively. We've talked about so many things over the last few weeks. In the middle of it, we've had our praying and fasting. We've had our first fruits. We've had guest speakers. We've had our anniversary. We've had a conference here of the, of the lead summit for INC. We've had so many things already in the first part of this year. Heard a thought that we're nearly a quarter of the way through the year. So we're nearly halfway through the year. My Lord, 2018 is nearly finished. Isn't that amazing? It's like, wow, where did that go? Um, and it's just really important that we make the most of every opportunity, that we live every day on purpose, that we do everything we can to, to make every day count for the church, for the kingdom of God, for ourselves, for our lives. Not out of stress and pressure, but out of a desire to see God who can show himself strong on our behalf and just do incredible things around us and through us and in us. We're going to close this series with something that actually in the order of the series would probably have gone, you know, perhaps more in order last Sunday, but it would not have been appropriate to talk about this last Sunday. So we're talking about it this Sunday. Is that okay? And so I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to the book of Haggai, chapter 2. And we're just going to read verses 6, 7, 8, and 9 this time. And we've read this, this, these, you know, the chapter and a half so many times in the last couple of months. Um, we've probably learned it by now. But here we are in verse 6. He says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more it is a little while. I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations. And they shall come to the desire of all nations and I will fill this temple with glory. Isn't that what we want? We want God to fill his temple with glory. Not just so the church can be self-indulgent and introverted, but so the church can be so empowered by God that everywhere we go, we reflect his glory. We shine. If we're not encountering God, we've got nothing to give people. If we haven't experienced forgiveness, how are we ever going to forgive others? If we've never seen mountains move by faith, how are we ever going to go out there and move people's mountains? God, fill this temple with your glory. I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former. And can I say it was pretty great before. It was incredible before. How God's glory filled his temple was, was awe-inspiring. There were times buildings would shake. There were times fire would fall. There were times that incredible healing exploded from the presence of God. There are times of great overcoming power where the armies went in against all the odds and won an incredible victory. Why? Because the temple was filled with glory. Because the ark of God's presence, it was just a gold box, but the ark of God's presence, it was a sign of where God lived and God breathed and God dwelt among his people. And where the ark was, God was, his will was being done, his abundance was being known, where his glory was. The glory will be greater in this latter temple. And actually, because this is referred to in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, we know that that is applying to who we are today. That was not just applying to a rebuilt temple. Because Hebrews 11, which is just a couple of thousand years ago when the church started, said everything's going to shake. Therefore, if that bit is true, then the the 
Consequences are true that people are going to come to the desire of all nations. Somebody asked me the other day, you know, how do we think time is going to end? How, you know, how do we think the church is going to end up? Not our church, the church around the world. Is it just going to be really harder and harder and darker and darker and sin is going to get so bad and the world's going to be so bad and God's just going to come and zap it all? And I said, well, yes, there's a truth to that. The Bible's clear about that, that things are going to get so bad. But in the middle of the darkness, the church is going to have its greatest hour. It's going to have its finest hour. I believe in an end time harvest. I believe in a time when the glory of God is going to flood this planet and multitudes of people are going to come to Christ. But you know what? We're not just going to wait for that to happen. We're going to do everything we can to make that happen. We're going to shine. We're going to love. We're going to forgive. We're going to serve. We're going to do everything we can to be a church on fire in our community, to love people, not to judge the world, but to love the world and to serve the world world and to embrace people, do everything we can to see the kingdom of God advance. Glory is going to be greater, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place, in this place where my glory is, in this place of greater glory, in the middle of all the shaking, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Last week, we, we thought about God's best for our lives. And God's best is his peace. He's come to give us peace. And we understood that that word means wholeness in every part of our lives. It doesn't just mean that sort of a religious peace that just sort of settles on on a dead religion. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a peace which is a wholeness, which brings healing and and, and wholeness and deliverance and, and redemption. And it restores people's lives. The incredible peace of God. God says in the middle of some of this most incredible prophetic words that I believe you find in the Bible about the end times. Right in the middle of this, it says there's going to be a shaking. It says people are going to come to the desire of all nations. He says there's going to be wholeness poured out. And he says this, the glory is going to be greater, greater glory. Greater than we've ever known before. So we need to ask the question, what is a church full of God's glory? What is that? What is a church full of God's glory? If the glory is going to be greater, what does that look like? Well, in some ways, we can start the series all over again and talk about what it looks like to be a church full of God's glory. It means a place where God is glorified. It means a place where people are coming to Christ. You know, for me, that's the highest priority. A church full of God's glory will be a church where people are born again. Not just a place where the church gets excited. Not just a place where, where incredible signs and wonders are happening for Christians. Hello? Come on, you're a little bit quiet this morning. I don't know what's going on here, but you know, it's, it's, that, it's that sort of, it's that shh, peace and quiet thing that we don't do. <laughs> We don't just want a church where great things are happening to Christians. We don't just want a church where Christians are getting blessed. Hello? This is probably one of the most challenging things we could ever talk about. And this is not what I'm talking about today, but I've got to bring it in. We are blessed to be a blessing. We're not just here to say, thank you, God, for my healing and my forgiveness and my abundance. Dear God, I've been around, I've been, I've been around a long time. <laughs> I've been around a long time. I've preached in many circles, about 50 nations, loads of conferences, loads of different styles of church. And there can be a tendency in the body of Christ to sit on its and enjoy God. I want to electrocute these chairs today a little bit. Is that okay? Now, some of you are wondering if I've done it. You know I'm good with electrics. You know I'm good with plumbing and electrics and all that stuff. So I might have just have a little red button up there. (laughs) The Bible says whenever we come together, we are to provoke one another. Not offend one another, provoke one another. What for? Love. And good works. Love who? 
Love each other? No, come on, that's the easy bit. Because we're family. The Bible says, come on, love your neighbor. Good preaching, Pastor Jay. Thank you very much. Love your neighbor. Love the one who hates you. Do good to those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Bless the person who's, who's the upset at work. The problem. You know what? They're probably going home saying, oh man, that Christian in work, they're a real nightmare. And you're going home, oh God, give me grace. That person just seems to not like me. <laughs> Moving right along. People coming to Christ. What does a, a church full of God's glory look like? It looks like a church where signs and wonders take place, miracles and healings, restoration. It's a place where God expresses himself. God's glory was never meant to be just an encounter and a feeling. God's glory is where God works from. Stuff happens from his glory. Stuff happens because he's present. Miracles take place, signs and wonders. Lives are transformed, relationships are restored or healed. We live a supernatural life as a result of being part of a church filled with the glory of God. See, people who don't understand this make comments like this. Oh, you don't have to be, you know, to go to church to be a Christian. I'm sorry. That's like saying, I don't have to live with my wife to be married. <laughs> Dear God, that is just the height of deception. I may be married, but I don't want to talk to her. I don't want to see her. I don't want to eat her cooking. I don't want to talk to the boys. I may be married, but you know what? I don't have to have a relationship with anybody in my family. Really? <laughs> No, to be a Christian is to be a part of the body of Christ. The finger is me. The other finger is you. The wrist is someone else. The kneecap is someone else. You take the finger off the body. It's no longer part of the body. Man, I know this is strong. You take a Christian out of church, you can go to Scripture and say they're no longer a Christian. That's, that's strong stuff. Yeah. You know what? That's why the enemy loves to take people out of church. Get them offended. Get them into competition. Get them into, oh, I'm not preaching what I want or don't like the music or, you know what? It's, it's you know, it's, it's inconvenient. I'm too busy. My job. It's, it's just, this is how it is. People gave their life for the church 2,000 years ago. People died, the martyrs died. When God moves, he moves through the church. It is the church gathered together that God's going to fill with his glory. Now from being together, we all go out individually into the world. Every day you're in an environment I'm not in and I'm in an environment that you're not in. And wherever we go, we go as people from the church of Jesus Christ, not city gate necessarily, from the church. Wow, this is, this is strong stuff. I want to get on to what I'm preaching about today because I've only got a few minutes left. My life. In fact, in about three sentences time, it says this, I'm very aware we only have a few minutes. That's what it says. So what can we cover in such a short space of time? That's what it says in my notes. And if it's in the notes, it's got to be true. We cannot talk about God's glory being experienced and exploding and being encountered within the church without us facing the fact and discussing the fact that our God is a God of abundance. That our God is a God of prosperity. Didn't know that was coming, did you? <laughs> he is the God of more than enough. 
I'm very aware this is a controversial thing to say. In our society, in, in, our, in our generation, you know what people love to say? Ah, oh, the church is only after your money. Bunch of thieves. And so there are a couple of responses to that. The first response is, you know what? The word of God is true and we're not going to apologize for it. But on the other hand, we still need to represent something that is not going to offend the people out there. So there's always a balance. Somebody asked me, this is about 20 years ago. They said, if somebody gave you a Bentley, and oh yeah, please, Jesus. <laughs> if somebody gave you a Bentley, would you drive it? And you know what? That is a major question in my mind, and still is. I'm not trying to suggest that somebody gives me a Bentley, <laughs> all right? But you drive a Jaguar. Yeah, it's 19 years old. Hello, so don't, let's not go there, eh? <laughs> it's lovely to drive, but it keeps breaking down. Twice last year. <laughs> Get my spanners out, replace the throttle body. Lovely to drive, though. I, I had the top down. The sun came out this week. <laughs> the sun came down. I pressed my button. <sighs> and I drove. But somebody asked me a long time ago, if you were to be given a Bentley, would you drive it? And at that time, I said, yes. The abundance of God. Prosperity, I believe, in a covenant of prosperity. Still do. But you know what's more important to me today? The integrity and the reputation of the body of Christ in London. The last thing we need is another target to shoot at. Hello? Now, I'm not saying I won't drive it if somebody gives it to me. I'm still a little bit undecided. You know what? But we grow up in things. We grow up in things. See, some things make a statement that's unnecessary. Now, that's not saying don't drive a nice car. Please don't go and take and go, oh, there you go. God wants us to drive a rust bucket. No, we're redeemed from rust buckets. <laughs> I believe we're redeemed into Mercedes and Bentleys and Jags and all the rest of it. Absolutely, I do. I believe we are redeemed out of squalor and into prosperity Amen. and into abundance. Amen. But we still got to shine in the darkness. Hello? Is this okay? You understand where I'm coming from, yeah? You never thought you'd hear Pastor Jay say that, did you? See, right in the middle of this, I will fill this temple with glory. He says this, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. Now, can I just say how sometimes we've read that? In the middle of the shaking, I will fill this temple with glory. The silver is yours and the gold is yours. Thank you, God. Well, yeah, I've got some things to say this morning. He said, the silver is mine, God says, and the gold is mine. Wealth will always be attracted. And when I say wealth, can we make it really clear here today? I'm talking about money. Okay, money. This stuff. If I was to say... The first one up here gets it, there'd be a stampede. You see, look, he's already up, he's up. Don't you tell me you don't care about money. Mate, you work for this 40, 50, 60 hours a week. You save it. And you go to your account just to look at the numbers. Oh. 
gets me twitching. That one is better than that one. That's 20, that's 10. 20 is better. 30 is even better. And I want to do everything I can to make that 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 1,000, 10,000, 100,000, a million. Some people spend that every week trying to get a million on a little lottery ticket. And the Christians, and the Christians pray about it. Oh God, lead me by your spirit to circle the right numbers. Thank you, Holy Ghost. When you come to church, you hold it up and you go, thank you, Jesus. Pastor, will you anoint it with oil? <laughs> when you lose some of it, you get really angry. When somebody steals it, boom, the fuse breaks. See, I love this stuff so much, I'm going to put it here on my platform because, oh. See, we say we don't love money, but we sure behave like we do. The Bible doesn't say there's anything wrong with money. It says there's a whole lot wrong with loving it. Loving it. Those who desire to be rich, mate, they're going to fall into all sorts of mess. There's a huge difference between desiring to be rich and understanding and having a desire for God's abundance. There's a huge difference. There's a world of difference. There's a world of difference. You see, wealth, money will always be attracted to where God lives and breathes. That's the magnet. Where God is at work, where God lives, where God breathes, that's where money is attracted to. There is actually a money magnet. Have you ever wondered why some people just money magnet? Well, if they're in the world, that can be because they're like a a vat for it to be hoarded up for wrong purposes. But I also believe that the church, the Christian us corporately and us individually are supposed to be a money magnet. I've got no problem with that at all. Attract wealth. Attract wealth. Oh man, I, I could do a whole series on this today. Are we attractive to God? Are we attractive to people? Because if we're attractive to God, then we're going to attract what God puts out, which is abundance. Who is attractive to God? Those who worship God. Those who love people, those who are compassionate, those who sow, those who give, those who do stuff for others, those who prioritize other people's greatness over their own. Those people are attractive to God. Now it says, I'm very aware we only have a few minutes, so what can we cover in such a short space of time? Well, I'm going to answer that question. We have just a few points. Number one, God's will is prosperity Somebody hit the button. Ah, here we go. God's will is prosperity. It is God's will for us to prosper. Psalm 35 verse 27 says this. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. Let them say all the time. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And I could go to so many scriptures in the Word of God that, that show me and prove to me and, and reveal to me and give me examples and stories and scriptures and theories and teaching and, and actual stories that God wants me to prosper. God wants you to prosper. 
God wants us to prosper. He's come to give good news to the poor. And what is good news to the poor? God's going to be with you in your poverty. That ain't good news to the poor. Good news to the poor is on the cross, Jesus Christ, though he was rich, and it's in the, don't talk to me that it's about spiritually rich. It's in the middle of two chapters talking about money. Literally money. And it says, so Jesus went to the cross, even though he was rich for 33 and a half years, Oh, really? I thought he was a poor man. Read your Bible. He was a wealthy man on earth. Wealthy man. Even though he was rich on the cross, he became poor that you and I through him being poor can be made rich. And it's talking about finances. It's very, very clear in the Bible. It's very clear. Can you see why this is such a controversial subject? God's will is prosperity. He wants us to prosper. He died so we can prosper. He is just as committed to your prosperity as he is to your health. And we all love to say God wants to heal you. We need to add in the same, same sentence and God wants to prosper you. Ah, but it means give you a happy life. No, that's not what it means. It means that you can have more than enough. More than enough. Number two, God's prosperity has principles. Has principles. What are those principles? Well, the first one is stewardship. Do you remember we just read, the gold is mine, the silver is mine? I can remember in 1991, I was in a conference. I was on the front row, right there. About 10,000 people there. And um, a man was speaking who became a very close friend of mine and has been for the last 25 years. Incredible man of God and so impacted my life. And, And he said this, everything you have actually belongs to God. Now we can also, oh yes and amen, but something hit me that day. I sat there and I absolutely broke down. And I looked down at my shoes and I said, God, these are your shoes. I looked at my suit I was wearing. I said, God, this is your suit. I looked at my tie. I said, God, this is your tie. Then I thought about, Lord, the car I'm driving, that's your car. And I know we can all say this, oh, it's God's, but something happened on the inside of me. It was one of those encounter moments with God when God speaks right into your spirit. And he said, the apartment that you live in is, you know, I said the apartment that we're in, we didn't own it at the time. It was, it, it was um, I had a grandma, she'd passed away and we moved in there. We'd been married just not long. And we moved in there and he said, the apartment, I said, the apartment is yours. Everything I have, God, is yours. And then I started to think, how do I treat those things? See, some people, you know, if you borrow something off somebody, you give it back in a worse condition. But other people give things back in a better condition. I know if ever I've had to borrow a car, you know what I'll do? I'll fill the car with petrol and I'll make sure it's valeted before I give it back. Hello? I remember I borrowed it. Some golf clubs. I've, never, I've, I've played golf once in my life. And I borrowed a set of, of clubs off a guy called Joel. I'll leave that there. And so I borrowed these clubs and he gave them to me and they're all muddy. It's fine. So I went off and I played golf. Badly. It was, it was just terrible. It was terrible. Anyway. You know they do this thing, you hit the ball and the closest to the pin, yeah? You see all these golf players in the room, no, you have a clue on. You hit the ball and you see how close you can get to the pin, which is the shaft of the flag on, close to the pin. Well, I thought, I'm going to get there. <laughs> it went behind me. 
That is no lie. I hit this thing and I only just, just tapped it and it spun and it went backwards. So it was a big charity day and it was a beautiful golf course and they did the closest to the pin award with so-and-so and they said, we're adding in another one today, the furthest from the pin. And I got the furthest from the pin award because mine went backwards from where I started. But you know what? I probably spent a couple of hours cleaning those golf clubs. I absolutely polished them before I gave them back. Why? Because they weren't mine. Borrowed them. Everything we have is God's. I went home from that evening, and I didn't get home till about half 12 or 1 in the morning. It was from Earl's Court. We got home, and there was an after-party thing, and I went home. Sharon was asleep in bed. And I spent probably four or five hours, and I cleaned the apartment. I tidied it all up. don't know if you remember that. You were asleep in bed. You wouldn't have known a thing. Um, and I cleaned the apartment. I went through the apartment. Now, I'd like to say that every day since, I've cleaned my house or my apartment, which is not true. But, but there was... There was a change that day. See, a steward understands something. What I have is not mine. When we gave away a car, it was like, God, this is your car. If you want me to drive it, awesome. Thank you, Jesus. If you want someone else to drive it, fine, it's yours. You see, stewardship is at the very heart of prosperity. If God can trust you with something, he'll give you more. To steward. Hello? Okay, you see, it's, this is a tough one. And see why I didn't preach on this last Sunday at our baby dedications. Stewardship. What we have is not our own. There's a whole parable on it. Matthew 25 about the stewards and five talents, two talents, one talent. Very, very powerful thing. If you've got time to read it, please do. Matthew 25. What else are the, are the prosperity principles of God? Number two is knowledge. You will live in what you know. Ignorance is deadly. And believing the wrong thing is deadly. Equally. Ignorance, you don't know it or you believe the wrong thing, those two things are deadly in, in any area of life. If you have understanding, more stuff's going to be given to you. If you don't have understanding, then the enemy's going to easily come and steal away what you've got because our strength and our protection comes from what we know. Is this all right today, yeah? I will live in the good of what I know. My people are destroyed whether it's in healing, whether it's in forgiveness, whether it's in business life, whether it's in relationships, people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. So we got to know what the Word of God says. And if we don't put time into it, you'll never know it. And then you'll wonder why you're not prospering. Come on, guys. What we know, we got to go to school and learn from the Word of God. What does God's word say about these issues? What does God's word say? Because ignorance will kill you. Third John 2 to 4 says this. It says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified of the truth or the word of God that's in you and alive in you. Just as you walk in the word of God, in the truth, there is no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. As you walk in the truth, you prosper your soul. As you prosper your soul, you prosper in your body and in your finances. What you think is actually going to be how you live. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. But those thoughts need to come out the heart and into the soul. Good preaching. Thank you very much. What else do we understand that prosperity has some principles? The third one of it is this. God is a God of harvest. God's best is not miracles. Now that is just a real challenge to so many people. The church abdicates its responsibility so many times and rests back on God needs to do me a miracle. It's my prayer that we never need another miracle ever again in our lives. Jesus never needed a miracle, but he went out giving them away all the time. 
Why didn't he need a miracle? Because he lived above. He lived in the harvest. He lived, he lived in, the, in, the, in the power of God's word. You see, if I'm a farmer, I don't sit at home and go, God, grow crops. I get out there and sow seed for the crops. Now, if a disaster comes, I need a miracle. Hello? And God's a God of miracles. But you need a miracle because something has gone wrong. Is this, does, this, does this make sense? You see, people... I, uh, I'm going to hide somewhere. Because I don't want you to throw stuff at me. <laughs> They're lazy. They're not generous. They don't praise God. <laughs> Man, I'm feeling really nervous back here right now. And then they want God to do something for them. Now, I'm not saying we earn stuff from God. We don't deserve anything. That's not what I'm talking about. But just like a farmer puts seed in the ground and doesn't pray for miracles and just doesn't put anything in the ground... So the church needs to live by the principles of God, which are already blessed. You don't need to pray for a miracle if you're doing the stuff that brings the harvest. Right. God's a God of harvest. Not a God of miracles. He has to be a God of miracles. Who are the miracles for? The people who don't know God. Now, if you need one, have one. But I refuse to build this church on a miracle mindset. I refuse. I refuse. I will build this church on the rock of the Word of God and the promises of God and the principles of God not a slot machine mentality. Well, I don't tithe and I don't give and I don't this and I don't that. And once a year, I put five quid in and say, God, I'm loving you. Hello? And believe God for a miracle. And when, when something's going wrong, well, I'm not doing that anymore. That's like me saying, you know, when there's some tension in the marriage, I'm not talking to you. Not that we ever have tension in our marriage. I'm not talking to you. No, this is, this is relationship. Relationship with God and with the church and with the world. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. There's no miracle in that. There's no, there is no miracle in that. That's harvest. Harvest is not a miracle. If I have an acorn tree on the top of a hill and there's a thousand acorns in it and you go up and you shake the tree and they all fall down, how many trees have you got next year? You haven't got a thousand. You may have five. Squirrels will come and eat some. Hello? Others will rot. Others will fall on concrete. If there's concrete around the tree. You, you understand? You may have five more trees next year. But if I go up and I shake the tree and all the thousand acorns fall, and I go around and I pick them all up. And every one of them I put in a right environment, whether that's a savings account, 
or whether that's investments, or whether that's tithes, or whether that's offerings, or whether that's my wife, or whether that's my kids, or whether that's a ministry, or whether it's the poor, or whatever. If I, on purpose, sow every acorn into fertile ground, how many trees am I going to have? A thousand. Because there's nothing wrong with the acorns. I'm not going to live my life expecting five trees next year because I don't do anything about it. I'm going to plant every one of the things. Oh, I'd love to do a whole day on that. Let's move on. Third one, very quickly. Uh, oh, no, I'm gonna, I need to hide again. <laughs> Dear God, seriously, this is, this is the big one. You ready for this? <sighs> Thank you. God is now not moved by need. Oh. Talk about a mindset shift. If God was moved by need, there would be no need. This is serious. And yet the church has got it all screwed up the wrong way. As though God responds to need. You can even find where the Lord Jesus Christ said this. In Israel, there were lots of sick people, but only one got it. He said that. In Israel, there was a lot of people that, that didn't have an encounter with God and only one got an encounter with God. You see, we have, we have established our lifestyle on a wrong premise. That if I tell God about my need, or if there's a very presence of a need, that will mean God will meet the need. Absolutely not. God is not moved by need. If, there was, if, if, if Almighty God was moved by need, there would be no famine, there would be no abuse, there would be no houses repossessed, there would be no uh, you know, companies falling apart, because God will be moved by need. But God is not moved by need. Now I'm going to say this, God was moved by need and he sent Jesus Christ for all the need and he died on the cross for all the need, whether that's sickness or sin or lack and insufficiency or marriage breakup or, or you name it, that's why Jesus came, for all the need. He was moved by need and so sent the Lord Jesus. So the need has been met. And for me to go to God with a need is pointless. Pointless. I go to God and I thank him he's met my need. Now how do I get out of this? Well now God's going to give you some wisdom. Now God's going to give you some understanding in order to get the harvest. God is not moved by need. Oh God, can you see I've got a bill to pay? Yeah, he died for that bill. God, oh God, can you see that? Oh, this God, can you see? And God, can you? Now, yeah, the Bible says, cast all your cares upon him. Be anxious for nothing. But by your prayers and requests, make your requests known to God. Absolutely. But that is not just a rehearsal of need, 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 need. This is a huge issue. It has to be the toughest thing for many people to come to terms with. What moves God now? Faith in his word. We engage with what he's done. Number four, as we close. God values generosity. So what are the four things we've said today? God's will is prosperity. God's prosperity has some principles. Those principles are stewardship and knowledge, having a harvest mentality. Number three, God is now not moved by need. And number four, God values generosity. 
2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 8, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Who's the you there? The cheerful giver. It's not the Christian. It's not anybody. Ah, oh, my God will meet all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Read it in context. Paul says, I know how to be abased. I know how to be abounding. Nothing moves me. I don't complain. I'm not a better Christian when all my needs are met and I'm grumpy when I'm going through struggle. It's like I can handle this. I'm bigger than my surroundings and I'm a giver. And he goes through all this stuff. And I know, therefore, because of all of that, my God's going to meet my needs. You can't just declare that as a Christian. That's like a farmer saying, I know I've got a harvest and he's not put any seed in the ground. It ain't true for everybody. Hello? Is this, is this okay? I've lost about half of you right now. Dear God, perhaps we shouldn't go to two services next week. Perhaps half of you are going to leave. I don't know. <laughs> I'm only joking. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every holiday. For every weekend away, now you're prospering. That you may have an abundance to buy your ninth car. That you may have an abundance to buy your fourth house. Is that what it says? No. You may have an abundance for every good work. What is a good work? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil. Good works are the works of the kingdom. Whether it's power or deliverance or compassion or, or feeding the poor or, or being anointed to preach or whatever it is or to be the school teacher that you are or the administrator that you are. You are anointed, you are called, you are empowered to do good works to represent Jesus Christ. And God wants to prosper your good works. An abundance for every good work. Now, God wants us to prosper and be in health in every area of our lives. Absolutely. Have two houses. Have three. It's not the, it, that is not the issue. If that's the issue, you've got it all sort of skewed up. That's not the issue. Have 10 bank accounts, all with a million quid in it. Fine. Really not a problem. But understand this. You are prospered for good works. You are prospered and anointed to do good. How is Christian kingdom generosity expressed? Number one, through tithes. Through tithes, they are a New Testament scriptural principle. It is the amazing discipline of honouring God before anything and everything else. It really is our partnership with God. It's a bit like me saying, Sharon, I love you, but I'm not giving you any money for food. Really? You love me? Yeah, you're going to have to believe God for food. <laughs> Doesn't add up. Doesn't add up. Number two, offerings. This is how generosity is expressed. Offerings. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. If something is expressed from the heart, it will always come out as a word, an action, a gift. Never just an intention or an aspiration. I don't want to stand before God and say, Lord, I intended to be generous. It was an aspiration to become generous. No, my heart is a generous heart. Why? Because God lives in there. So that's got to come out in some way. I don't want to stand before God with aspirations. I want to stand before God with good fruit. Is that okay? I'd never say to Sharon, I intend to love you. Stand at the altar. Will you, Julian, love Sharon? Well, I, I'm aspiring to. I hope so. One day, I'm sorry. What's your decision? Offerings have to do with thanksgiving to God, have to do with worship. There's so many ways we can give offerings and worship and thanksgiving. That's our heart for God. God, I love you. Here's 50 quid. God, I love you. Here's 10 pence. God, I love you. Here's a thousand. It's an offering. This is, this, that's what an offering is, yeah? It's an offering. Because your money is not speaking, this is not just 10 pounds. It's an hour of my life. Does that, does that make sense? For me to give 10 pounds, I'm giving an hour of my life. 
I worked for that. I sowed for that. What else is there? Giving. Just general giving. What does that mean? We partner in a church with a vision, with a dream, with what's going on. We give just to bless somebody. It's not an offering. This is a gift, yeah? You understand me. There's offerings. Oh, God, I love you. I worship you. And oh, just yeah, wham. And there's an offering and sowing seed and all that. But there are times to give. Who do we give to? We give to anything and anybody. Give to the poor. Give to another believer. Give to an organization. Give to the Red Cross. Give to whatever. Hello? We give. It's not an offering. It's a gift. You understand that, yeah? We give to the poor. We give to our family. We give. I want to say this. It's harvest time in the kingdom of God. Wealth has always been intended for the temple. Always been intended for the church. Wealth magnets. I don't know about you, but I want to be a wealth magnet. I want to be attractive to God, attractive to people, attractive to the kingdom, attractive. Not sort of, hey, look at me. It's not what I'm talking about. That that quality on the inside that people want to hang around with. God has always prospered his work. Always prospered his work. God has always intended for the church to live in more than enough. As we close this series of greater glory, next week is Easter. Then we're going off into a whole new season as church. That's great. As we close this series, we have covered so much. We've covered so much. Our heart for God, up the mountain, spending time in the presence of God. We've, We've covered so much stuff. The results, God wants there to be a prosperity and and an abundance in people's lives. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you that you are a God of abundance and prosperity. Lord, I could have, Lord, uh, preached this in so many ways because there's so much to say. Lord, we could all be celebrating about all our needs are met, which is right. Lord, we could all be shouting about the fact that we've sown seed and harvest is coming back, which is right. But Lord, we want to end this series right now, again, just focusing on the fact that you want to fill this house with glory. And where your glory is, where your wealth will be. Father, we, Lord, set our sights on things above. Lord, to be people who are kingdom people, generous people. Cheerful givers, those who understand the power of tithing and offerings and giving and all of those areas. Lord, we don't want to live anymore with a mentality of God, get me out of this. Lord, we want to prepare for the future to come. Lord, sowing seed for the days and the years to come in our personal lives, in the church, in every part of life. Lord, that we would see your incredible harvest that's already blessed, come to pass in the church and through every life. Father, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give him praise today, shall we?